Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Judges chapter 7, and let me read you this next episode in the life of Gideon. It's one of my favorites, if not my favorite, when it comes to this man Gideon. I'll begin at verse, 20, uh, verse, 9, uh, verse 9, and I'll read through verse 23. Um, <clears throat> yes, I think. Here we go. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go, against, to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three camps and put trumpets into their hands and all of them in empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hand the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Zerarah as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Folks, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, you may recall that last week I, I emphasized verse 2 where it talks about um, uh, that you may take credit for something that you didn't do. You remember? Um, and, and very honestly, that may be just the, the central message of the entire book. That is that uh, deliverance belongs to God, not to these human deliverance, deliverers who were so flawed. I mean, like uh, Jephthah who... Um, sacrifices his daughter, and, and then there's Samson, who was such a wreck. And then we come to Gideon. Gideon is a man who uh, is not, exemplary, not example, exactly exemplary in all of his behavior. Do you see here that even after that whole um, 
fleece thing. You remember setting out a fleece? Even after God had uh, condescended to do that, he still gripped with fear. So folks, um, what you're seeing in this portion of the story is something that I think is the very apex of the, of the whole story. Um, and, and the events that succeed this are, happen in dazzling speed. The, 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 this event begins with the command of God, uh, go on down there, but if you're still afraid, which he was, um, I want you to take your, your servant, Pura, and go down there, and, uh, and I'm going to give you a glimpse of something that is going on behind the scenes. Now, gang, you and I long for what Gideon got to see. In a, in a life that is pretty dadgum complex, we long for a, just to try to figure out what it is that God is up to. Gideon is looking out over a massive army of 135,000 Midianites, and he couldn't help but be afraid. You, you know, you, you know that when all those caustic juices begin to gurgle around in your stomach and your brain? You see, you and I aren't looking out over an army, but we are looking out over a life that is really complex. And there are certain times in it where the situations are so baffling that we would give anything if we could have had the same privilege that Gideon had to look behind the scenes and see exactly what it was that God was up to. But because Gideon gets to see, you and I at least get a reminder that there's a, there's a part of the equation that you and I don't awfully often consider, that God is up to something, and yet the complexity of our situation lends itself to us forgetting that. You know that, that statement that, that Solomon makes Lean not on your own understanding. It's in Proverbs 3. Well, that's exactly what we do. We lean on our own understanding. And for, for Gideon, his calculation was this. I got 300 in my army. They got 135 in their army. Therefore, well, I'm in big trouble. We do, we have our own little version of that. We look at our situation, we say, well, there's that, and there's that, and oh, no, I'm in big trouble. So Gideon gets a chance. God condescends to give Gideon a chance to see that there was something going on behind the scenes. Guys, um, I remember when I was a young father and I had three young daughters um, and, and I thought often, w wondered often, worried often about how in the world I was going to educate three daughters and pay for three weddings on a preacher's salary. Uh, and, and I would love to tell you that I stepped back and I said, well, you know, uh, 
God is, uh, God is in charge here and, and uh, everything's going to be fine. I didn't. I didn't do that. I responded to my situation much like Gideon to his. That is, leaning on my own understanding. Um, and so, um, in the midst of all my fretting about this situation, I, be, I, 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 I began uh, a college, um, I began to save money for, in a college fund, which is a, which is a good thing to do. And over nine years, I had amassed $1,300 in uh, 1984, um, which was promptly stolen from me. And when I say stolen, I mean stolen. I'd love to tell you that story, but we don't have time for that, uh, that either. But what kind of man steals $1,300 from a preacher who's got three young daughters? Well, his name is Bill Barr. And if Bill, you're listening out there, I would like to have my $1,300 back with interest. But he stole it. And in fact, um, uh, after it was stolen, I fretted more. But it seems as if God wanted to sweep away that $1,300 just like he swept away an army of 31,700 underneath Gideon. So that, so that he could get all the glory. And so here I am, 40 years later, an old man with three college-educated daughters, with no student debt, and three weddings, all paid for. How did God do that? Well, I would love to tell you about that too one of these days, but not today. Suffice it to say, I fretted in vain because God was at work behind the scenes, something that Gideon got to see. He was at work in a most remarkable way, just like you see unfolding here in Judges chapter 7. You know, ladies and gentlemen, there is a statement in Psalm 121. I bet you've heard it, but maybe didn't know where it was, but it's in Psalm 21. It says this, he that keepeth Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. <laughs> this God that's being described here in Judges 7, he doesn't take naps. He's not indolent. He's, he's not forgetful or idle. He does not neglect his people, those who belong to him. So we can lay down all of our fretting, um, and hopefully as we look at this story, it'll help. 
um, what you see God doing here is giving to Gideon a glimpse of what's going on behind the scenes to address all of his fears. Wouldn't you like that? Well, we don't get that. But we do get a story that tells us about that. And, and folks, did you notice that in this story, this army of Gideon's 300 fools, they never fought. They chased. They chased a fleeing army of Midianites, but they never fought. It was God who fought, who did the fighting. It was a power not their own that accomplished that deliverance. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that same God, that same God fought for this preacher with three little girls. And he fights for you. Now, there's another thing that I want you to see in this whole story. Um, it's, a, it's a very powerful and prized, or at least it should be prized, lesson. Stay with me. Notice, God says, I want you to go down there, take Pura with you, and I want you to just tell you, you know, just go down there, you know, just wander on down there, you know? And so um, they do. And when they do, did you notice, hallelujah, a marvelous coincidence occurs. I mean, to have Gideon, in verse 13, to have Gideon at that precise moment behind enemy lines next to the exact tent where one Midianite was telling another Midianite about a dream that he had, and then that other Midianite tells him what that dream meant. Guys, do any of you believe that that's a coincidence? Well, no, Dr. Young, I, I, don't, I don't think it was a coincidence, but you've got to understand, Dr. Young, I don't even believe the Bible. I don't think that ever happened at all. Okay, so it's a, just a, a quaint little story is all it is, Dr. Young. Okay, well, you, you will at least agree that in that quaint little story, um, you see something in it that is like, it is like an invisible hand. Folks, do you know where that term, the invisible hand, came from? When I was a student at the University of Tennessee, I was, um, I was in the College of Business. I majored in personnel management. Never used it an hour of my life, but, uh, but that was my major, uh, personnel management. But in that curriculum for personnel management, you had to take a lot of econ courses, and they were boring. Um, but I mean, I took a lot of econ, and, and um, every course I took, you were, you were confronted with this guy by the name of Adam Smith. Adam Smith wrote this massive volume called The Wealth of Nations, and in it, he coined that term. The well, I mean, the, uh, the invisible hand. 
And he used that to describe what he called unseen forces that moved the market economy. Unseen forces that are moving the market economy. Um, now, again, in this little story, which I said is just one of my favorites, but did you see all that's being claimed? I mean, did you see that invisible hand, that, that, that unseen force in this story? Let me show it to you. A couple of places. Number one, the dream. Do you mean to tell me that God communicates via dreams? I sure do. I have had God change my sermons before I waked up on Sunday mornings in dreams. So that's something that's being claimed in this story. And then how about this thing? Did you see it? It's in verse 22. When they blew the 300 tr tr uh, trumpets, the Lord set. He set every man's sword against the comrade. What, what did God do there? He, he created this spirit of fear and they turned on each other. Folks, all of that is being claimed whether you believe it or not, it's being claimed to be things that God does through that invisible hand of unseen forces that regulate not only market economies, but regulate lives. Folks, speaking of lives, your life could point to numerous events that at the time seemed coincidental, but they weren't, were they? When I was a sophomore at the University of Tennessee, um, I was home for something. I was in Memphis for something. And um, I had a friend back in Knoxville. He was a golfer. I was a um, baseball player. We lived in the same dorm. He lived across the hall uh, in the athletic dorm there at, at Bill Gibbs Hall in, in Knoxville. And um, he was a good guy. Uh, he's still a good guy. He's still alive. Um, and um, he had a mother uh, that uh, was a nice lady. And, and um, uh, so I was home in Memphis and I, I guess bored and didn't have much to do. So um, I decided that I was gonna draw, oh, this, this mother of the friend of mine, she managed a dress shop over on Union Avenue. It was called Vicky's Love. Maybe you bought a dress there uh, before, uh, but you have to be pretty old to have bought it. Um, but, but anyway, um, so I just decided that I was gonna stop in there and see uh, my friend's mother. Now, folks, tell me, what? college sophomore male stops in to see his friend's mother. Well, so I pulled in there, got out of the car, went inside, and there she was, Harvey's mother, said hello to her, but there was another a woman in that store then 
Uh, she was a younger woman, much younger, and she loved clothes. And she was really looking fine. <laughs> you know who that was? Her. Her name was Susie. It is Susie. Um, (laughs) Her name was Susie Betzelberger. And I felt so sorry for her with a name like Betzelberger, I decided to change it. So I married her and have been married to her for 53 years. Who did that? I'll tell you who did it. The God of Gideon. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God who calls upon us to believe in the Savior that he sent. And if we do, we will be saved. Now tell me, ladies and gentlemen, don't you think that's a fairly unusual way to grant eternal life? Folks, it's just as unusual as 300 fools battling against 135,000 Midianites when the odds are 450 to 1 And because of the God of Gideon, his people were delivered. Folks, Vance Habner is a name that you might recognize. He's just a brother, and I know that he's still alive, but Vance Habner said this. I'm quoting him. It's just a sentence, but he says, faith sees the invisible victory in a battle not yet fought. You know, I wish I'd have had that quote um, back when I had three small girls and worried about how I was going to educate them and pay for their weddings. I don't know whether it would have helped or not. I might have been just as flawed and broken as Gideon. But that's what, it was, go- that's what was going on. Faith is, faith sees the invisible. Faith sees the invisible victory in a battle not yet fought. That battle has been fought now. And the God of Gideon came through for me like he came through for Gideon. Folks, may I be the first to assure you that God is not pacing the quarters of heaven, wringing his hands and wondering how something so awful could happen to such a nice person like you. He never worried about how he was ever going to educate Jimmy Young's three daughters. No, no. Folks, 
This is the God who governs. He governs the universe that he created. My God, my Father, governs. Don't you love that? It tends to reduce our fretting, doesn't it? That this God governs. Folks, in theological terms, that's called providence. And I say to you, the reason that I'm so drawn to this story is because on display in this portion of the life of Gideon, it is God's providence that is front and center. Those coincidences, those dreams, those very irregular ways of delivering his people, all of that, ladies and gentlemen, is accomplished by a God who does as he pleases, when he pleases, how he pleases, and he does it very well. Ladies and gentlemen, the God of Gideon is my God. Is he your God? Is the God of Gideon your God? Perfectly so, he is. Folks, the God before whom I will stand, and so will you, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one that he sent as a payment for sin for sinners like us. And you may have never considered me your friend, but I am. And as a friend, I want to give you just one quick piece of advice. Before you stand before this God, the God that governs, You must come to Christ. Oh, dear friend, do not go into his presence without the Savior that he sent. This is a story about the God who governs and the God who forgives undeserving folks like us. Is this God your God? Oh God, we love your word. We're so grateful for it. We're grateful that you give us 
stories and illustrations and reminders and statements of propositional truth. We love this book, O God, and from it might we derive a clear, precise, accurate, faithful picture of who you are, just like the one on display in Judges chapter 7. Now, Father, might your people be comforted in knowing that you are the God who governs the heavens and the earth that you made. Lord God, if you have brought people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, if they have not yet met this one that you sent to be our substitute payment for our sin, if they've not met him, would you open their eyes so that they might see him in all his beauty, all his loveliness. And might they leave here as new creatures in Christ like so many of us have experienced in the past. Now, Father, make us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Guys, you know how.